I do think that there is something about like a Mediterranean climate that uh, advantages the tennis player. Just being hot. And like, I guess you live in the, like maybe like a town with like a bunch of like clay houses and yeah. like it's the sun is beating off of them and you know hot but not tropical hot and uh dry and you're eating a good good healthy meals full of yogurt and olive oil yeah nice so, healthy fats and protein so i think like greek uh also um australian i feel like there are a lot of australian tennis people mm-hmm. uh and then america generates a good not america doesn't have like a, a generally mediterranean climate but i feel like it's in the right latitudes yeah are the williams sisters from california uh i have no idea that's something that you would have to i would have to know and i guess we'll call it a a 90s style bit of information because i'm I'm not gonna look it up i'm not gonna look it up either yeah hello welcome to infinite cast part 25 is it part 25 part 25 oh okay Cool. The pod jest about uh, Infinite Jest, where we're reading Infinite Jest and uh, joking along with it, um, and also watching tennis highlights. We've got 2001 quarterfinals on between Sampras and Agassi. Um, this thumb, the YouTube thumbnail uh, begged the question, asked the question, is this the greatest tennis match of all time? So uh, I guess we'll find out while we're watching. Yeah, we'll, we'll report back. It's like three hours long, though, so I think... I, I don't know if we're going to be able to answer, answer that. that question. Maybe and we'll get I won't, just a taste. I won't be able to answer it at all because I, I don't necessarily know what a good tennis match is. Yeah, I don't know what I'm looking out for here. Uh, Molly says that we have a good segment yes. lined up for today. And the introduction of one of my favorite characters. I feel like I keep saying that every time I do characters. Yeah, introduce. I'm like, I love this guy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you'll like this okay, a lot. Great. You say it, you tease that it's about radio production. Mm-hmm. Or as I like to call it, the podcasting of the ancients. The old, <laughs> the old podcast. <laughs> Uh, sh- shall we? Shall we? Let's shall. All right. Late October, year of the Depend adult undergarment. Open me another one of those, boy, and I'll tell you the highlight of that set season of my season tickets was I got to see that incredible son of a bitch set his first record in the flesh. Oh my God. How much of this is not much <laughs> of this paragraph? Is it, gonna be? Okay, it was your brother's Cub Scout <laughs> Twoop outing. You wouldn't join because I remember this. You were afraid you'd lose the online time in front of the TP. Remember? Well, I'll always remember this one day, boy. It was against Syracuse, what, eight seasons back. The little son of a bitch had a long of 73 that day and an average of 60 wigging nine. 73, for Christ's sake. Open me another one, boy. Use the exercise. <laughs> exercise. I recall the sky was cloudy. When he punted you, uh, when he punted, you spent a real long time studying the sky. They really hung. He had a long hang time of 8.3 seconds that day. That's serious hanging, boy. Me, I never I never went five in my day. Quist. The whole twoop said they never heard anything like the sound of the son of a bitch's 73. One Richardson, you remember Wani, the twoop leader, whatever. Petroleum jelly salesman out of Brookline. <laughs> Wani's a retired pilot from the Soyvis from a bomber squadron. Wani was uh, down at to pub that night. Wani says he says that 73 sounded just like fucking bombs sounded. That kind of quacking th- whump when they hit to the boys in the squadron in the planes when they let them go. Brookline, Brookline. Bo- so not Brooklyn. only does this person have a speech impediment, they're also from Boston. Yes. This would be truly horrific to listen to. Being from Boston in some ways might be the, the worst in spe- speech impediment of all. Yep. Uh, That's terrible to say. Anyway, no more of that, I don't think. Okay. The radio show, right before Madame Psychosis's midnight show on MIT's semi-underground WYYY, is Those Were the Legends That Formerly Were, one of those cruel tech collegiate formats where any U.S. student who wants to can dart over from the Super Collider Lab or the Fourier Transform Study Group for 15 minutes and read on air some parodic thing where he'd pretend to be his own dad apotheosizing some sort of thick-necked historic athletic figure the dad had admired and had by implication compared with woeful distaste to the pencil-necked, big-headed, asthmatic little kid staring up through Coke bottle lenses from his digital keyboard. The show's only rule is that you have to read your thing in the voice of some really silly cartoon character. 
There are other rather more exotic patricidal formats for Asian, Latin, Arab, and European students on select weekend <laughs> evenings. The consensus is Asian cartoon characters have the silliest voices. Hmm. 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 Albeit literally sophomoric, those were the legends. <laughs> those were the legends is a useful drama therapy type catharsis op. MIT students tend to carry their own special psychic scars. Nerd, geek, dweeb, wonk, fag, weenie, four eyes, spazola, limp dick, needle dick, dickless, dick nose, pencil neck. Getting your violin or laptop TP or entomologist kill jar broken over your large head by thick-necked <laughs> kids on the playground. Oh, that's a very funny image. Imagine the entomologist I know. Uh, like pin board. And the show pulls down solid FM ratings, though a lot of that's due to reverse inertia. A Newton's uh, Newton's two like backward shove from the rabidly popular Madame Psychosis Hour Monday through Friday. Oh, zero, zero, zero hours to zero, one hundred hours, which it proceeds. YDAU's YYYYYYY late shift student engineer, unfond of any elevator that follows a serpentine or vascular path, eschews the MIT student union's elevator. He has an arrival routine where he skips the front entrances and comes in through the south side's acoustic metis and gets a millennial fizzy out of the vending machine in the cephanoid sinus, then descends creaky back wooden stairs from the Massa Intermedia's reading room down to about the in infundibular recess, past the Tech Talk Daily CD-ROM student papers production floor and the sick chemical smell of the read-only cartridge press's developer, down past the epiglottal Hillel Club's dark and star-doored HQ, past the heavier door to the tiled lattice of hallways to the squash and racquetball courts and one volleyball court and the heiress corpus callosum of 24 high-ceiling tennis courts endowed by an MIT alum and now so little used they don't even know now know where the nets are, <laughs> down three more levels to the ghostly clean and lithium-lit studios of FM 109 WYYY FM, broadcasting for the MIT community and selected points beyond. The studio's walls are pink and laryngeally fissured, his asthma's better down here, the air thin and keen, the tracheal air filters just below the flooring and the ventilator's air, the freshest in the union. What shape is this uh, student complex at MIT? It's shaped like a brain. Oh, <laughs> The okay. building, if you're wondering why things are described the way they are, it's because this building is shaped like a, a human giant brain. brain. And the radio station is at the very bottom? Yes. The stem? Yes, I think. I took neuroscience in college long ago. The engineer, a work-study graduate student with bad lungs and occluded pores, settles alone at his panel in the engineer's booth, adjusts a couple needles bob, and sound checks the only paid personality on the nightly docket, the darkly revered Madame Psychosis, whose cameo shadow is just visible outside the booth's thick glass, her screen half obscuring the on-air studio's bank of phones, checking queuing and transition for the Thursday edition. She is hidden from all view by a jointed triptych screen of cream chiffon that glows red and green in the lights of the phone bank and the queuing panel's dials and frames her silhouette. Her silhouette is cleanly limbed against the screen, sitting cross-legged in its insectile microphonic headset, smoking. The engineer always has to tighten his own headset's cranial band down from the those were engineers mammoth parietal breath breadth. <laughs> he activates the intercom and offers to check Madame Psychosis' levels. He requests sound, anything at all. He hasn't opened his can of pop. There is a long silence during which Madame Psychosis' silhouette doesn't look up from something. She looks like she's collating at her little desk. After a while, she makes some little sounds, little plosives to check for roaring sounds in exhalations, a perennial problem in low-budget FM. She makes a long S sound. The student engineer takes a hit from his portable inhaler. She says, He liked that sort of dreamy, dreaming music that had the rhythm of long things swinging. The engineer's <laughs> movements at the panel's dials re resemble someone adjusting the heater and sound system while driving. The Tao that can be told is not the external Tao, she says. <laughs> the engineer, age 23, has extremely bad skin. 
attractive paraplegic female seeks same object. The windowless laryngeal studio is terribly bright. Nothing casts a shadow. Recessed lit fluorescence with a dual spectrum lithiumized corona developed two buildings over and awaiting ONAN patent. The chilly, shadowless light of thir- surgical theaters, convenience stores at 0400. The pink, wrinkled walls sometimes look more gynecological than anything else. Like most marriages, theirs was the evolved product of concordance and compromise. The engineer shivers in the bright chill and lights a gasper of his own and tells Madame Psychosis through the intercom that the whole range of levels is fine. Madame Psychosis is the only WYYY personality who brings in her own headset and jacks, plus a triptych screen. (laughs) Over the screen's left section are four clocks set for different zones, plus a numberless disc someone hung for a joke to designate the annularized Great Concavities no time. (laughs) Nice. Uh, The EST clock's trackable hand carves off the last few seconds from the five minutes of dead air Madame Psychosis' contract stipulates gets to precede her show. (laughs) You can see her silhouette putting out the cigarette very methodically. She cues tonight's synthesized bumper and theme music. The engineer flicks a lever and pumps the music up the coaxial medulla and through the amps and boosters packed into the crawl spaces above the high fall ceiling of the Corpus Callosum's idle tennis courts and up and out the aerial that protrudes from the gray and bulbous surface of the union's roof. Institutional design has come a ways from IMP. <laughs> uh, Is this I, the, stu- the student The student union, union I suppose. like a giant brain. Uh, MIT's near new student union off the corner of Ames and Memorial Drive, which takes us to end note number 60, replacing the old neo-Georgian J.A. Stratton Student Center right off Mass Ave and gutted with C4 during the so-called MIT language riots of 12 years past. <laughs> language riots. The language ri- riots. Uh, off the corner of Ames and Memorial Drive, East Cambridge, is one enormous, sorry, I'm really fucking up my stumbling today, uh, enormous cerebral cortex of reinforced concrete and polymer compounds. Madame Psychosis is smoking again, listening, head cocked. Her tall screen will leak smoke for her show's whole hour. The student engineer is counting down from five on an outstretched hand. He can't see how she sees. And as Pinky meets Palm, she says what she said for three years of Midnight's, an opening bit that Mario Incandenza, the least cynical person in the history of Enfield, Massachusetts, across the river, listening faithfully, finds, for all its black cynicism, terribly compelling. (laughs) Her silhouette leans and says, And lo, for the earth was empty of form and void, and darkness was all over the face of the deep. And we said, Look at that fucker dance. Uh, can't swear on uh, student radio. Student radio. Mm, Unless well, it's a, hey, maybe the language riots solve that. Yeah, maybe the language riots <laughs> solve that. I had to read, uh, I spent uh, four years reading the the seven words that you can't say on radio to a bunch of freshmen over nice. and over and over again. Oh, that's cute. I would like to be there. A toneless male voice is then cued in to say, it's 60 minutes more or less with Madame Psychosis on YYY109, largest whole prime on the FM band. The different sounds are encoded and pumped by the student engineer up through the building's corpus and out the roof's aerial. This aerial, low watt, has been rigged by the station's EM weenies to tilt and spin, not unlike a centrifugal theme park type ride, spraying the signal in all directions. Since the BS 1966 Hunt Act, the low watt fringes of the FM band are the only part of the wireless spectrum still licensed for public broadcast. The deep water green of FM tuners all over the campus's labs and dorms and barnacled clots of grad apartments align themselves slowly toward the spatter's center, moving toward the dial's right, a little creepily, like plants toward light they can't even see. Ratings are minor league by the pre-interlaced broadcast standards of yore, but they are rock-solid consistent. Audience demand for Madame Psychosis has been, from the very start, inelastic. The aerial... (laughs) inclined at about the angle of a three-kilometer cannon, spins in a blurred ellipse. 
Its rotary base is elliptical because that's the only shape the EM weenies could rig a mold for. <laughs> Obstructed on all sides by the tall buildings of East Cambridge and Commercial Drive and Sirius Downtown, though, only a couple thin pie slices of signal escape MIT proper, e.g., through the P.E. department gap of barely used lacrosse and soccer fields between the philology and low-temp physics complexes on Memorial Drive, and then across the florid purple nighttime breadth of the historic Charles River, then through the heavy flow of traffic on Storo Drive on the Chuck's other side, so that by the time the signal laps at Upper Brighton and Enfield, you need almost surveillance-grade antenation to filter it in out of the EM miasma of cellular and interconsole phone transmissions and TP's EM auras that crowd the FM fridges from every side. Is the gag that he's getting at that all these sporting complexes are unused because it's MIT and they're all nerds? They're all dorks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I like that. It's nice, right? Yeah. Uh, unless, that is, your tuner is lucky enough to be located at the apex of a tall and more or less denuded hill in Enfield, in which case you find yourself right in YYY's centrifugal line of fire. So, yeah, it's, it seems like the, the MIT geniuses have rigged a way to at least try to get a signal out of the campus. Yeah, using a moving FM antenna. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that works. If, if that it works science like tracks, that. Yeah. whatever. Uh, Madame Psychosis eschews chatty openings. I think, I think FM signals just kind of expand outwards. Sure. In a spherical, I certainly in a don't, spherical way. I certainly don't know anything about anything. <laughs> uh, she is eschews. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Eschew. 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 She eschews. Eschews chatty openings and contextual filler. Her hour is compact and no nonsense. After the music fades, her shadow holds collated sheets up and riffles collated? them collated uh, and riffles them slightly so the sound of paper is broadcast. Very ASMR. Yeah. Obesity, she says. <laughs> obesity with hypogonadism. Also morbid obesity. Nodular leprosy with leonine fasces. The engineer can see her silhouette lift a cup as she pauses, which reminds him of the millennial fizzy in his book bag. Oh yeah. She says future soda. Future soda. I wonder what it tastes like. She says the oh, acro it in the sense of like in- anticipating a soda you're about to have. Oh, oh <laughs> there's no there's nothing better than when you have a soda that and hasn't been opened co- yet. Yeah, and you're like, damn, I got this cold soda in my bag. I've got all the it's soda. It's so good. When I pop it and you hear the fizz, mmm, you hear the bu- taste feel the little bubbles dancing on your tongue. I thought you were saying future soda like this is a soda from the future, which but, it is. Yes. I would also like a millennium fizzy. I've, I invented. I thought I invented what the millennial fizzy is when I used to work at an office with an incredibly sick um, seltzer machine. Yeah, and also a cold brew on tap. You bet your sweet baby. I mix those two, mixing uh, seltzer, seltzer and, and cold brew. Mm, that's uh, a millennial fizzy. We've, we've been drinking the coffee cokes every uh, Friday night the last few weeks, and guess what? They're pretty good. They're good. All right, she says uh, the acromelagic. Uh, the acromegalic and hyperkeratotistic. Oh no, I'm fucking this up. Hyperkeratotistic. The enuretic. This year of all years. The spasmodically torticolic. The student engineer, a pre-doctoral transuranial metallurgist working <laughs> off massive GSL debt, locks the levels and fills out the left side of his timesheet and ascends with his book bag through a trailage of interneural stairways with Semitic ideograms and developer smell and past snack bar and billiard hall and modem banks and extensive student counseling offices around the rostral lamina all the little-used, many-stared, neuroform way up to the artery-red fire door of the Union's rooftop, leaving Madame Psychosis, as is SOP, alone with her show and screen in the shadowless chill. She's mostly alone in there when she's on air. Every so often there's a guest, but the guest will usually get introduced and then not say anything. (laughs) The monologues seem both free-associative and intricately structured, not unlike nightmares. There's no telling what will be up on a given night. If there's one even remotely consistent theme, it's maybe film and film cartridges. Early and mostly Italian, neorealist and mostly German expressionist celluloid film. Never new wave. Thumbs up (laughs) on Peterson slash Broughton and Dolly slash Buñuel and down on Darren slash Hamid. Passionate about Antonioni's slower stuff 
and some Russian guy named Tarkovsky. Sometimes Ozu and Bresson. Odd affection for the hoary dramaturgy of one Sir Herbert Tree. Bizarre, <laughs> bizarre Kale-esque admiration for Gormeister's Peckinpah de Palma Tarantino. Positively poisonous on the subject of Fellini's Eight and a Half. Exceptionally conversant with slash regarding slash to avant-garde celluloid and avant and après-garde digital cartridges. Anti-confluential cinema, which takes us to endnote number 61. An après-garde digital movement, a.k.a. digital parallelism and cinema of chaotic stasis, characterized by a stubborn and possibly intentionally irritating refusal of different narrative lines to merge into any kind of meaningful confluence. Oh, oh sub- subtweeting yourself. Subtweeting there. yourself. Yeah. The school derives somewhat bo- from both the narrative Brady kineticism of Antonioti and the disassociative formalism of Stan Brackage and Collis Frampton, comprising Stan Brackage. Brackage. He, did, uh, he did moth parts, which I believe I talked about. Right? Am I right? Keep going. Stan Brackage. Okay. That that film that I said when we were reading uh, Jo mm-hmm. and Cadenza's filmography. Mm-hmm. The film that all his shit reminded me of, the guy who uh, made a movie just by gluing, manually gluing parts of moths to celluloid and then projecting it through a a movie theater. Okay. I believe that's Stan Brackage. That makes sense. Well, Stan Brackage and Hollis Frampton, comprising periods in the careers of the late Beth B., the Snow Brothers, Vigdis Simpson, and the late J.O. Incandenza, middle period. Here we go. Yeah. Is this, wait, let me look up moth parts. Please hold moth parts. Do you want moth do you light, want me to hold moth light, moth light. It'll take one second. And low. Oh, now keep going. Okay. Uh back back to the text. Mm-hmm. Anti-confluential cinema, brutalism, found drama, etc. Also highly literate on US sports, football in particular, which fact the student engineer finds dissonant. Madame takes one phone call per show at random. Mostly she solos. The show kind of flies itself. Yes, it was Stan Brackage. Great. Thank oh, yeah. you. So I called we that sh- way early. Can we watch that? Eventually, yeah. Eventually, when I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> when I've proven myself worthy. Um, the show kind of flies itself. She could do it in her sleep behind the screen. Sometimes she seems very sad. The engineer likes to monitor the broadcast from a height, the union's rooftop, summer sun and winter wind. The more correct term for an asthmatics inhaler is nebulizer. The engineer's graduate research specialty is the carbonated translithium particles created and destroyed billions of times a second in the core of a cold fusion ring. Most of the, most of the lithioids can't be smashed or studied and exist mostly to explain gaps and incongruities in annulation equations. Once last year, Madame Psychosis had the student engineer write out the home lab process for turning uranium oxide powder into good old fissionable U-235. Then she read it on the air between a Baraka poem and a critique of the Steeler Defense's double slot secondary. (laughs) These Madame Psychosis broadcasts sound a lot like Kush Vlogs. Honestly? Honestly? Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. It's something a bright high schooler could cook and took less than three minutes to read on air and didn't involve one classified procedure or one piece of hardware not gettable from any decent chemical supply outlet in Boston. But there was. I wonder if he's elliptically rep- referencing that uh, boy, that high school boy scout who was building nuclear reactors bo- yeah. in his uh, garage. Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, but there was no small unpleasantness about it from uh, the MIT administration, which it's well known MIT is in bed with defense. <laughs> the hot fuel recipe was the one bit of verbal intercourse the engineers had with Madame Psychosis that didn't involve straight levels and cues. The union's soft latex polymer roof is cerebrally domed and a cloudy uh, pea mater pink, except in spots where it's eroded down to pasty gray and everywhere textured the bulging rooftop with uh, sulci and bulbous convolutions. From the air, it looks wrinkled. From the roof's fire door, it's an almost nauseous system of serpentine trenches, like water slides in hell. (laughs) The union itself, the late... (laughs) The late A-Y, in parentheses, V-F, Ricky's summum opus, is a great hollow brain frame, an endowed memorial to the North American seat of very high tech, 
and is not as ghastly as out-of-towners suppose it must be, though the vitrally inflated balloon eyes, deorbited <laughs> and hung by twined blue cords from the second floor's optic chiasme to flank the wheelchair-accessible front ramp, take a bit of getting used to. And some, like the engineer, never do get comfortable with them and use the less garish auditory side doors and the abundant sulcus fissures and gyrus bulges of the slick latex roof make rain drainage complex and footing chancy at best, so there's not a whole lot of recreational strolling up here, although a kind of safety balcony of skull-colored poly- polybutylene resin, which curves around the midbrain from the inferior frontal sulcus to the parietocypical pari- pri- sulcus. A halo-ish ring at the level of, like, eaves demanded by the Cambridge Fire Department, over the heated promimetic protests of topological Rickyites over in the architectural department, which the MIT administration, trying to plate Rickyites and CFD fire marshal both, had the, had the pre-molded resin injected with dyes to render balcony uh, to render to render it the distinctive icky brown shot off white of living skull so that the balcony at resembles at once corporeal bone and numinous aura. Uh, which balcony <laughs> means that even the worst latex slip and slide off the steeply curved cerebrum's edge would mean a fall of only a few meters to the broad butylene platform from which a Venus blue emergency ladder can be detached and lowered to extend down past the superior temporal gyrus and pons and abducent to hook up with the polyurethane basilar stem artery and allow a safe shimmy down to the good old oblongata just outside the rubberized metus at ground zero. Regardless, this sounds like a huge safety uh, Yeah, I agree. A, a lawsuit waiting to happen. Right. Especially if you they let just students get out on the just top block at the top. Yeah, come on. Goodness no. Topside in the bitter river wind, wearing a khaki parka with a fake fur fringe, the student engineer makes his way and settles into the first intraparietal sulcus that catches his fancy, makes a kind of nest in the soft trench. See, that sounds nice. That does sound nice. The convoluted latex. This would be a great place to smoke pot, and uh, that is kind of what I imagine he's about to do. I think just cigarettes. The convoluted latex is filled with those little non-FHC styrofoam peanuts everything industrial soft, industrially soft is filled with. And the Pia Mater surface gives rather like one of those old beanbag chairs of more innocent times. Settles in and back with his millennial fizzy and inhaler and cigarette and pocket-sized Heathkit digital FM band receiver under a high CO night sky that makes the star's points look extra sharp. The Boston PM is 10 degrees Celsius. The post-central sulcus he sits in is just outside the circumference of the YYY aerial's high-speed spin, so five meters overhead, its tip's aircraft light describes a blurred oval, vascularly hued. His FM receiver's power cells, tested daily against the low-temp lab's mercuric resistors, are fresh. The wooferless tuners sound tinny and crisp, so that Madame sounds like a faithful but radically miniaturized copy of her studio self. She speaks again. Those with saddle noses, those with atrophic limbs, and yes, chemists and pure math majors, also those with atrophic necks. Scleroderma adultorum, them that seep, the serodermatotic. Come one, come all, this circular says. The hydrocephalic, the tabescent <laughs> and chechetic and anorexic. The Bragg's diseased in their heavy red rinds of flesh. The dermally wine-stained or carbuncular or steatocryptotic or, God forbid, all three. <laughs> Marin Amat syndrome, you say. Come on down. The psoriatic, the eczematically shunned, and the scrofulodermic, bell-shaped steo... Ste- <laughs> I can't do this. Steatopygiacs in your special slacks. What? <laughs> Afflictees of pityriasis pi- pi- rosacea. It says here, come all ye hateful. Blessed are the poor in body, for they... The pulsing aircraft alert light. This, this is just an absolute knockout between all the... Um, the, the brain stuff. The brain stuff. All of the all of the uh, skin that skin disorders having a time. Are there's all are all the things that she named skin disorders. They're not all skin disorders. They are merely um, 
topical topical disorders, uh, things that will affect the way you look and are pleasing or not pleasing to the eye. Yes. The pulsing aircraft alert light of the aerial is magenta, a sharp and much closer star now with his fingers laced behind his head, reclined and gazing upward, listening, the centrifugal whirl's speed making his its tip's light trail color across the eyes. The light's oval, a bloody halo over the very barest of all possible heads. <laughs> <laughs> Madame Psychosis has done UHID stuff before, once or twice. He is listening to her read four levels below the oblongated recess that becomes the heating shaft's nubbin of spine. Ad lib style reading from one of the PR circulars of the union of the hideously and improbably deformed. <laughs> An agnostic style 12 step support group deal for what it calls the aesthetically challenged, which takes <laughs> us to Endnote 62. At the zenith of the self-help group movement in the BS mid-1990s, there were estimated to be over 600 wholly distinct step-based fellowships in the USA, all modeled, however heretically or flakily, on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. By YDAU, the number had dropped to about one-third of that. Back to the text. She sometimes reads circulars and catalogs and PR-type things, though not regularly. Some things take several successive shows to get through. Ratings, like this book, for example. Rating, <laughs> ratings stay solid. Listeners hang in. The engineer's pretty sure he'd hang in even if he weren't paid to. He does like to settle into a sulcus and smoke slowly and <laughs> don't exhale. We, don't we all? Don't we all? And exhale up past the blurred red ellipse of the aerial monitoring. Madame's themes are at once unpredictable and somehow rhythmic, more like probability waves for subhedronics than anything else, which takes us to EndNote 63, the student engineer's analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The student engineer has never once seen Madame Psychosis enter or leave WYYY. She probably takes the elevator. It's 22 October in the Onanite year of the Depend Adult Undergarment. Like most marriages, Avril and the late James Incandenzas was an evolved product of concordance and compromise, and the scholastic curriculum at ETA is the product of negotiated compromises between Avril's academic hard-assery and James's and Stitt's keen sense of athletic pragmatics. It is because of Avril, who quit MIT entirely and went down to halftime at Brandeis and even turned down an extremely plummy-type stipended fellowship at Radcliffe's Bunting Institute that first year to design and assume the helm of ETA's curriculum, that the Enfield Tennis Academy is the only athletic-focused-type school in North America that still adheres to the trivium and quadrivium of the hard-ass classical LAS tradition, which takes us to EndNote 64. Not 100% clear on this, but the thrust is that the T and Q are the two basic courses of study leading historically to the, like, 18th century equivalent of a high school diploma and a BA, or maybe MA, respectively, at nodes of hoary classicality like Oxford and Cambridge U during the time of Samuel Johnson. More or less the original grammato-lexical and pedagogical hard-ass. And that the trivium makes you take grammar, logic, and rhetoric, And then if you're still standing, you get the quadrivium of math, geometry, astronomy, and music. And that none of the classes, including the potentially lightweight astronomy and music, were in fact lightweight, which is one possible reason why the portraits of all those classical and neoclassical BAs and DPhils at Oxford and Cambridge look so pale and wasted and haunted and grim. Not to mention that the only day ETAs get off classes is Sunday, partly to make up for how much they're away from the classroom on trips, and back at ETA, classless Sunday is a three-session day on the courts, all of which strikes people outside academies as almost fanatically brutal. Yeah. For more general, <laughs> sounds like it sucks. <laughs> I know. For more general pedagogy here, see P. P. Beasley's somewhat frumpy and dated BS era revival of the humanities in American education, <laughs> or better yet, Doctor A. M. Incandenza's updated version of A. M. Incandenza, Avril Avril Incandenza. Uh, with its prose updated and typos eradicated, an argument rather more keenly honed, available on CD-ROM through Interlace at cornup3.com or in trade paperback from Cornell University Press, third edition, 
copyright year of the Tux medicated pad. We go back to the text. Uh, in college, I took a, a intro to music theory class just out of the music department, uh, thinking that it would be pretty easy. And mm-hmm. but that this was like a real deal music theory class for like composers, and it was one of the hardest classes I took music, in college. Music theory is very hard. Yeah. Um, I liked it though. I thought it would be like scales and notes and stuff, but instead it was like a history of Gregorian counterpoint. God damn it. <laughs> it's like, God damn it. I thought this was going to be a fuck off class. No, thanks, pal. Much, much easier was my music department class, the history of rock music, where I had to like write essays about blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> spinning wheel. <laughs> I bet your professor was really cool. He was the offstage. I've, I've talked about this on the end introducing. He was the offstage guitarist for Toto. Oh, yes. You'd have told me about that. That, that, that kind of stage guitarist <laughs> for Toto. That's, that's a very, uh, that's a very David Foster Wallaceian professional. Yes. Offstage guitarist. All right. Back to the text. Sorry, this is a long one, but I think How it's important pages? to... Um, uh, we might get into a footnote, or we might get into endnote hell. Okay, we, we, can, get, we can get through we can this. Get we're, through at, this. we're at like 35 right okay, now. Okay, yeah. We'll be, Last we'll episode was short. Yeah. Hang in there, guys. We're having, we're having fun, though. All right. Uh, just talked about the Trivium Quadrivium. Uh, thus, one of the very few extant sports academies that makes a real stab at being a genuine pre-college school and not just an Iron Curtain-ish jock factory. But Stitt never let Incandenza forget what the place was supposed to be about. And so Avril's flinty men's sauna pedagogy wasn't diluted so much as ad valorumized. Prasma, I don't know what the fuck that means. Pragmatically focused toward the corpore potus type uh, goals kids were coming up the hill to give their childhood for. Some ETA twists Avril allowed into the classic LAS path are, e.g., that the seven subjects of the T and Q are mixed and not divided into quadrivial upper class versus trivial aphebic, that ETA geometry classes pretty much ignore the study of closed figures, excepting rectangles, to concentrate also except for Thorpe's trigonometry of cubes, which is elective and mostly aesthetic, (laughs) for two increasingly brutal semesters on the involution and expansion of bare angles. Why would they need to study angles? For tennis! Yes, of course. Uh, (laughs) Is it for tennis? Uh, (laughs) I got lost. Um, That the quadrivial requirement of astronomy has at ETA become a two-term elementary optics survey since vision issues are obviously more germane to the game, uh, capitalized game, and since all the hardware required for everything from aphotic to apochromatic lens work were and are right there in the lab off the ComAd tunnel. Music's been pretty much bagged. <laughs> Plus the uh, triviamoid fetish for classic oratory has by now at ETA been converted to a wide range of history and studio courses in various types of entertainment mostly recorded film. Again, way too much of Incandenza's lavish equipment lying around not to exploit, (laughs) plus the legally willed and endowed for perpetuity presence on the academic payroll of Mrs. Prickett, Mr. Ogilvie, Mr. Disney R. Leith, and Miss Soma... (laughs) Miss Soma... Ms. Soma Richardson Levy O'Byrne Chawaf. (laughs) Ms. Ms. She's not even married. (laughs) Uh, the that sorry that joke is always going to be my favorite. The late founder director's loyal engineer, sound engineer, best boy, production assistant, and third favorite actress, respectively. <laughs> Amazing. He dies, and he's like these people all, all have tenure at this <laughs> tennis academy. <laughs> Plus, also the six-term entertainment requirement because students hoping to prepare for careers as professional athletes are, by intention, training also to be entertainers. True. Albeit of a deep and special sort, was in Condenza's line. One of the few philosophical points he had pretty much to, uh, he had to pretty much ram down the throats of both Avril and Stitt, who was pushing hard for some mix of theology and the very grim ethics of Kant. <laughs> Mario and Condenza has sat in on a back row stool for every session of an ETA entertainment department offering ever since he was finally three years ago December asked to disenroll from the Winter Hill Special School in Cambridgeport for cheerfully declining even to try to really learn to read, explaining he'd way rather listen and watch. I did not realize that Mario is illiterate. Uh, I mean, fair. Yeah. And he is a fanatical listener slash observer. 
He treats the lavish Tatsuoka fringe FM band tuner in the living room of the headmaster's house like kids of three generations past, listening the, other way, the way other kids watch TP, opting for mono and sitting right up close to one of the speakers with his head cocked, dog-like, listening, staring into that special pocket of near-middle distance reserved for the serious listener. He really does have to sit right up close to listen to 60 minutes plus or minus when he's over at the HMH, which takes us to EndNote 65, ETA's moniker for the headmaster's house. Back to the text. With CT and sometimes Hal at his mother's late suppers because Avril has some auditory thing about broadcast sound and gets the howling fantods from any voice that does not exit a living corporeal head. <laughs> And though Avril's made it clear that Mario's free at any time to activate and align the Tatsuoka's ghostly green tuner to whatever he wishes, he keeps the volume so low that he has to be lowered onto a low coffee table and lean in and almost put his ear up against the woofer's tremble and concentrate closely to hear YYY's signal over the conversation in the dining room, which tends to get sort of manically high-pitched toward the end of supper. Avril never actually asks Mario to keep it down. He does it out of unspoken consideration for her thing about sound. Another of her unspoken but stressful things involves issues of enclosure, and the HMH has no interior doors between rooms, and not even much in the way of walls, and the living and dining rooms are separated only by a vast multi-level tangle of houseplants in pots and on little stools of different heights, and arrayed under hanging UV lamps of an intensity that tends to give the diners strange little patterns of tan that differ according to where someone usually sits at the table. Hal sometimes complains privately to Mario that he gets more than enough UV during the day, thank you very much. The plants are incredibly lush and hale and sometimes threaten to block off the whole easement from dining to living room. And the rope-handled Brazilian machete CT has mounted on, by the wall, uh, on the wall by the tremulous china case has stopped really being a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the moms call the houseplants her green babies, and she has a rather spectacular thumb, plant-wise, for a Canadian. What's that supposed to mean? I don't know. <laughs> The leucodermatic, the xanthodantic, the maxillofacially swollen, those with distorted orbits of all kinds, get out from under the sun's cove lighting is what this says. Come in from the spectral rain. Madame Psychosis's broadcast broadcast accent is not Boston. There are R's for one thing, and there's no cultured Cambridge stutter. It's the accent of someone who spent time either losing a southern lilt or cultivating one. It's not flat and twangy like Stice's, and it's not a drawl like the people at Gainesville's Academy. Her voice itself is sparely modulated and strangely empty, as if she were speaking from inside a small box. It's not bored or laconic or ironic or tongue-in-cheek. The basilisk breathed and pyraic. It's reflective but not judgmental somehow. Her voice seems low-depth familiar to Mario, the way certain childhood smells will strike you as familiar and oddly sad. All ye peronic or teratoidal, the phrenologically malformed, (laughs) the superatively lesioned, the endocrinologically malodorous or of whatever ilk, run, don't walk on down, the acervulous-nosed, the radically ectomied, the morbidly diaphoretic with a hanky in every pocket, the chronically granulomatous, granulomatous, the ones it says here, the ones the cruel call two baggers, one bag for your head, one bag for the observer's head in case your bag falls off. Oh God. The hated and dateless and shunned who keep to the shadows, those who undress only in front of their pets, the quote aesthetically challenged, leave your lazarettes and oubliettes I'm reading this right here. Your closets and cellars and TP tableaus find nurturing and support and the inner resources to face your own unblinking sight is what this goes on to say. A bit bit overheatedly, maybe. Is it our place to say? It says here, hugs, not uggs. (laughs) (laughs) It says, come don the veil of the type and token. Huggos for uggos. Come to learn to love what's hidden inside to hold and cherish the almost unbelievably thick ankled 
the kyphotic and lordotic, the irremediably cellulitic. It says progress, not perfection. It says never perfection. The fatally pulchritudinous, welcome. The actionizing side by side with the medusoid. The papuled, the macular, the albinic. Medusas and otolisks both come find common ground. All meeting rooms windowless. That's in Atal. All meeting rooms windowless. Plus, the music she's cued for this inflectionless reading is weirdly compelling. You can never predict what it will be, but over time, some kind of pattern emerges, a trend or rhythm. Tonight's background fits somehow as she reads. There's not any real forwardness to it. You don't sense it's straining to get anywhere. The thing it makes you see as she reads is something heavy swinging slowly at the end of a long rope. It's minor key enough to be eerie against the empty lilt of the voice and the clink of tines and china as Mario's relations eat turkey salad and steamed croziers. Turkey salad? Turkey salad. And drink lager and milk and vin blanc from a hull over behind the plants bathed in purple light. Mario can see the back of the mom's head high above the table and then over to the left, Hal's bigger right arm and then Hal's profile when he lowers it to eat. There's a ball by his plate. The ETA players seem to need to eat six or seven times a day. Hal and Mario, honestly, Sam, I'm like, I'm hungry. Hal and Mario <laughs> had walked over for 2100 supper uh, at HMH after Hal had read something for Mr. Lee's class and then disappeared for about half an hour while Mario stood supported by his police lock and waited for him. Mario rubs his nose with the heel of his hand. Madame Psychosis has an unironic but generally gloomy outlook on the universe in general. One of the reasons Mario's obsessed with her show is that he's somehow sure Madame Psychosis cannot herself sense the compelling beauty and light she projects over the air somehow. He has visions of interfacing with her and telling her she'd feel a lot better if she listened to her own show, he bets. <laughs> Madame Psychosis is one of only two people Mario would love to talk to but would be scared to try. The word periodic pops into his head. Hey, Hal, he calls from across the plants. Like for months in the spring semester of YDPH, YDPAH, she referred to her own program as Madame's Downer Lit Hour and read depressing book after depressing book, Good Morning Midnight and Maggie, A Girl of the Streets <laughs> and Giovanni's Room and Under the Volcano, plus a truly ghastly Brett Ellis period during Lent in a monotone, really slowly. Brett Easton Ellis? Brett Easton Ellis. Are they contemporary? Aren't he and... Wallace basically contemporaries. They're basically contemporaries, but at this point, he would have been a classic book. Yes, well, because like, it's set in the future, right? So I don't know. Maybe that's a that's a little uh, snark to to one of it his. Might uh, be a little snarky. Yeah. Uh, read in a monotone, really slowly, night after night. Mario sits on the low little Vandero knockoff coffee table with bowed legs. The table with his. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did this is aside. I'm just thinking of how funny it is that my that one uh Christmas my cousin gave me two British Easton Ellis books, including American Psycho, and was just like, These remind me of you. Were you kidding? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like there's an intense like pop cultural like focus. I I, I guess it's just, it's a bit she had it right because I think she was trying to say that they're like kind of cynical and sarcastic, but funny and like pop pop cultural. I but it is very funny to be handed a copy of American Psycho and be like, I, I read this and it reminded me of you. <laughs> uh, that's why I wonder if I insult all my, my old boyfriends by asking them if they've listened to 100 Gex because it seems like they'd really like it. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's kind of telling. A little bit. Uh, but I like 100 Gex. <laughs> you're, you're brain damaged, right? You would, you would like this music. I, I found it's a I read. Found, I found something both stupid and hyper. <laughs> I, would you? I think you would enjoy it. I found something absolutely unhinged to listen to. <laughs> I think. I think, I think it's going to be just your, just your speed. <laughs> anyway, it is a funny bit that I've been doing. I think. <laughs> um, he's sitting on the coffee table uh, with his head cocked right up next to the speaker and his claws in his lap. His toes tend to point inward when he sits. The background music is both predictable and, within that predictability, surprising. It's <laughs> periodic. It suggests expansion without really expanding. It leads up to the exact kind of inevitability it denies. 
It is heavily digital, but with something of a coral bouquet, but unhuman. I want to listen to this music. Sounds good. Mario thinks of the word haunting, like in a haunting echo of thus and such. Madame Psychosis is cued music, which the student engineer never chooses or even sees her bring in, is always terribly obscure, which takes us to end note number 66. Some MITs are compulsive about taping the shows and then listening to the musics again and trying to track them down in stores and college archives, not unlike the way some of their parents had killed whole evenings trying to parse out the lyrics on R.E.M. and Pearl Jam tapes, etc. So so to place it, these are the kids of Gen X. These are the children. These would be Gen Z kids at MIT. Is this theoretically set like right around now? Right around now. Yeah. Right about now. Someone did, someone on the internet tried to do a calculation um, based on what uh, the book says versus, yeah, like what years would correspond to the To be absolutely clear, I don't care about this specific year, but just like general terms. Anytime someone tries to decode art and like relate it to the world, I'm just like, shut up. It's but, art. I mean, we could talk more about this at the end. Yeah. Keep going. You've got what, like another page or something. Music is terribly obscure. Uh, and yes, uh, but often just as queerly powerful and compelling as her voice and show itself, the MIT community feels. It tends to give you the feeling there's an in-joke that you and she alone are in on. Very few devoted WYYY listeners sleep well Monday through Friday. Mario has horizontal breathing trouble sometimes, but other than that, he sleeps like a babe. Avril Incandenza still sticks with the old Lille region practice of taking just tea and nibbles at U.S. supper time and waiting to eat seriously until right before bed. Cultured, Canadi- cultured Canadians tend to think vertical digestion makes the mind unkeen. <laughs> Some of Oren and Mario and Hal's earliest memories are of nodding off at the dinner- dining room table and being gently carried by a very tall man to bed. This was in a different house. Madame Psychosis's cued musics stir very early memories of Mario's father. Avril is more than willing to take some good-natured guff about her inability to eat before, like, 22-30 hours. Prandial music holds little charm or associations for Hal, who, like most of the kids on double daily drills, makes fists around his utensils and eats like a wild dog. Nor are excluded the utterly noseless, nor the hideously wall and cross-eyed, nor either the ergodic of St. Anthony, the leprous, the varicelliformally eruptive, or even the sarcomid of Kaposi. This is like a Monty Python bit. It is. Hal and Mario probably eat slash listen late over at the HMH twice a week. Avril likes to see them outside the awkward formality of her position at ETA. CT's the same at home and office. Both Avril and Tavis's bedrooms are on the second floor, as a matter of fact, right next to each other. The only other room up there is Avril's personal study, with a big color Xerox of M. Hamilton as Oz's West Witch on the door, and custom fiber wiring for a tri-modem TP console. A stairway runs from her study down the backside of HMH, north, down to a tributary tunnel, leading to the main tunnel, to ComAd, so Avril can commute over to ETA below ground. The HMH tunnel connects with the main at a point between the pump room and ComAd, meaning Avril never like hunches idly past the pump room, which fact Hal obviously endorses. (laughs) Late suppers at HMH for Hal are limited by DeLint to twice a week tops because they get him excused from dawn drills, which also means late night mischief possibilities. Sometimes they bring Canada's John No Relation Wayne over with them, whom Mrs. I likes and speaks to animatedly, even though he rarely says anything the whole time he's there, and also eats like a wild dog, sometimes neglecting utensils altogether. Avril also likes it when Axford comes. Axford has a hard time eating, and she likes to exhort him to eat. Very rarely anymore does Hal bring Pemulus or Jim Struck, to whom Avril is so faultlessly, brittily polite that the dining room's tension raises hair. (laughs) Whenever Avril parts ficus leaves to check, Mario's still hunched, pigeon-toed, and cocked in the same RCA victorish posture with the little horizontal (laughs) forehead crease that means he's either listening or thinking hard. The multiple amputee, the prosthetically malmatched, the snaggletooth, wattled, weak-chinned, and walrus-cheeked, 
the palate clefted, the really large poured, <laughs> the excessively but not necessarily necessarily lycanthropic. I can't do this. Lycanthropically hirsute, <laughs> the pinheaded, the convulsively touretic, the Parkinsonianly tremulous, the stunted and gnarled, the teratoid of overall vis- visage, the twisted and hunched and humped and halitotic, the in any way asymmetrical, the rodential and saurian and equine, equine looking, hey Hal, the tri nostriled. <laughs> the invaginate of mouth and eye, those with those dark, loose bags under their eyes that hang halfway down their faces, those with Cushing's disease, those who look like they have Down syndrome even though they don't have Down syndrome. You decide. You be the judge. It says you are welcome regardless of severity. Severity is in the eye of the sufferer, it says. Pain is pain. Crow's feet. Birthmark. Rhinoplasty that didn't take. Mole. (laughs) Overbite. A bad hair year. The WYYY student engineer in his sulcus contemplates the moon, which looks sort of like a full moon that somebody's bashed in a little bit with a hammer. Madame Psychosis asks rhetorically whether the circulars left anyone out. The engineer finishes his fizzy and makes ready to descend again for the hours closed, his skin turned toward this terrible cerebral chill off the Charles, which is windy and blue. Sometimes Madame Psychosis takes one random call to start 60 plus or minus. Tonight, the one caller she ends by taking has a cultured stutter and invites MP and the YYY community to, to, to consider the fact that the moon, which of course, as any sot knows, revolves around the earth, does not itself revolve. Is this true? He says it is. That it just stays there, hidden and disclosed by our round shadows rhythms, but never revolving that it never turns its face away. Is that true? Does the moon revolve? Yeah, I believe the face... I think it does rotate, but in such a way that the same face is always facing the Earth. Isn't that right? That's like literally the dark side of the moon. I don't know, man. I'm I'm so stupid. (laughs) I would never get into MIT. (laughs) The little Heathkit can't receive signals inside the Cerebrum's subdural stairwells during descent, but the student engineer can anticipate she'll make no direct reply. Her sign-off is more dead air. She almost reminds the engineer of certain types in high school whom everyone adored because you sensed it made no difference to them whether you adored them. It had sure made a difference to the engineer, though, who hadn't been invited to even one graduation party with his inhaler and skin. The dessert Avril serves when Hal's over is Mrs. Clark's infamous high-protein gelatin squares Mm. available in bright red or bright green, sort of like jello on steroids. Mario's wild for them. CT clears the table and loads the dishwasher since he didn't cook. And Hal gets into his coat at like 0101 hours. I'm still so bad at reading these. Mario's still listening to the WYYY nightly sign-off, which takes a while because they not only list the station's kilowattage specs, but go through proofs for the formulae by which the specs are derived. Hell yeah. CT always drops at least one plate out in the kitchen and then bellows. Avril always brings some hell jello squares into Mario and adopts a mock dry tone and tells Hal it's been reasonably nice to see him outside Les Batiments Sanctifiés. The whole thing to Hal sometimes gets ritualistic and almost hallucinatory, the postprandial farewell routine. Hal stands under the big framed poster of Metropolis and whumps his gloves together casually and tells Mario there's no reason for him to leave too. Hal's going to blast down the hill for a bit. Avril and Mario always smile, and Avril asks casually what his plans are. Hal always wumps his gloves together and smiles up at her and says, Make trouble. And Hal, uh, and Avril always puts on a sort of mock stern expression and says, Do not, under any circumstances, have fun, which Mario all, still always finds clutch your stomach funny every time, week after week. Woo! <laughs> That's Madame Psychosis, baby. Uh, do we hear more from her? We sure do. Okay, great. Um, uh, my first thought is that that's a very long chapter. We've it's like an hour right now Ooh. from recording. That's a JOI um, filmography length. Yeah, but um, the funny thing is, is that I was just thinking at the very end that you know we talk about how people say that this uh book is unfilmable for that 
hour long reading, I think that you could accurately convey that well if you did it tonally well in about a minute of filmmaking. Yes. You know? Yes, agreed. Because it's just the it's just the voiceover of her reading those conditions and She's then you show the all the other stuff that's happening while people are listening guys to Guys hanging out in his sulcus. Yeah. Uh, dinner at that D- dinner uh, at the it's all very clear like I mean uh, yeah. perhaps a bit uh, too too clear but you you know what everything looks like yeah. and I think that you know obviously the, the value of it is in the language and shit that he uses but I think that part of the way that you could do that is in like meticulous display mm-hmm. and, and um, careful you know shooting and editing sure uh, I do have to say that I it's from how you describe the uh, curriculum at the tennis academy, it seems like it would generate genuinely psychotic children. I know, I, and I guess the you know the idea is that if they don't make it to the show or even want to play in college, that they mm-hmm. could still go to not a, just a college but a very good one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, that the high pressure and like, but the so this specificity that it's like incredibly hard academics, but it's basically only studying entertainment, studying filmmaking. And studying and like math and like angles. archaic like uh, and grammar curriculum curriculae of like English universities of the 18th century. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is all. I mean, David Foster Wallace's parents were both um, academics, right? academics, and I feel like he's sending up that yeah. whole um, lifestyle. It's which academia in general is like so specific, and yeah. like it's such a walled fortress of like being and yes. any time like we don't i feel like we're not direct buds with anyone who i would call specifically an academic, an academic. and do that's anybody, probably telling anyone in the academy in our in our group yeah i mean i went i've gone to high school with some people who are are getting like their phds ah uh, yes oh well i guess we know people who have phds but in like psychology but yeah that doesn't mean that you're gonna teach you're that, gonna like yeah practice in some way but i do think that's telling that like i would imagine you you really do end up in in that zone almost exclusively and avril as like uh academic mom is very interesting because she she, she's a militaristic grammatician grammatician uh grammaticist and you know but also kind of like a a good like a good mom yeah you're at least like a, a a doting mom Andre Agassi's dangly earring is very funny. It's very he has like a pirate ring Mm -hmm. earring. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know how much more. I feel like I had something (laughs) to talk about, but I I lost it. Radio student radio student radio. I mean, um, it reminds me very fondly of running the student radio. Although I wouldn't go outside to smoke because we didn't have engineers. You had to engineer your own show. Um, But well, I think he can he could leave because she. Mm-hmm. She, she's brought her, all her own equipment and stuff. She's very yeah, yeah. self-sufficient. She, I mean, talk about a, a amazing depiction of the creation of a parasocial relationship through audio entertainment. Yes, that's true. That Mario is literally like, yeah, falling in love with it. Or yeah, like falling in love with this person. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just, I also do like the part of this that he keeps unspooling details about the the surrounding. Like he, the first time you hear the tennis academy you kind of like have an idea of like what a tennis academy would be like and then you keep getting more details of it that turns it that slowly unveils everything to be more and more psychotic right yes even just the way their house is structured with like no walls or rooms but these like wall of plants on a on a yeah. stools and stuff yeah under, uh, under uh fluorescent lighting the the mario thing too i i don't think i had clocked this before that he doesn't know how to read but he's a an obsessive like, watcher, watcher and, and listener, listener yeah and that he he did they they put him in a special school that he did not uh yeah. thrive at. I'm still not entirely clear on what his deal is if he's like learning disabled or something or just yeah. like refuses to to choose to learn. Yeah, that I mean that's a good question. It might it might be a little bit of both. Yeah. It might be some um uh some of the way he's built and some mm-hmm. of what he chooses to do. Yes. Um Oh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go back through and remember what we were talking about. Bredis and Ellis. Okay. And how I was saying that I didn't care uh, about what date it's actually set in. And we're yes. Like, yeah, like that kind of like fan theorizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, is that we were talking about that specifically right after he was talking about like fans taping the show and trying to backwards engineer Indeed. the, the uh, music from it. And I, you know, I guess that that is the same impulse. And a part of me has to th- assume that he 
imagines that he is creating something so dense that people would try to do the same thing for his works in mm. the future. Of, I mean, obviously they're not, not taping it. Although what, I mean, that's what we're fucking doing is putting it down on tape. Yeah. Uh, but you know, trying to, uh, uh, unpack it backwards and, and establish all the details that were left unestablished. Right. Purposely. purposely. Right. Decoding. Decoding. Which is, you know, mm-hmm. also, I mean, I, I love this idea uh, to talk about what a, a cultural artifact of the idea that you would be listening to a, a show on the radio and wouldn't be able to, it, it would take so much effort to try to track down the music that she's playing, for yeah. example, and how utterly like removed that kind of lifestyle is now where you can find out where anything is sourced. Anything you listen to, you can look it up and be like, ah, this was sampled in, this samples this song and was sampled in this song. Yeah, that's true. And the the convenience of that, obviously, but then the the lack of romance. I, uh, lo- losing, we're losing our edge. We are. Well, although that's one of the reasons I loved working at WNUR is our commitment to playing a shit that was so obscure that you literally couldn't find it anywhere. Like something I've been searching for for a while that I remember used to being able to play there, and I actually I literally cannot find it. Which was a symphony ri- written for seventeen dot matrix printers. <laughs> uh, oh, seventeen printers. Yeah. In one room? Yeah. You know the old dot matrix ones with yeah, the perforated yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah. and they made the, those great little noises? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody wrote like a symphony for 17 dot matrix printers and we had it on like a CD EP. <laughs> and then I used to play it for like a year straight, like almost every show. And then it disappeared. Uh, I did not have a um, radio show. I It is a regret. I wish I could go back to college and, and get one, but I would hang out with my friends who had radio shows. And most notable in the... Uh, Skidmore College radio station was a sign that just said like printed eight or ten times no dead air no dead air no dead air and but people would then vandalize it and say you know no no dead Mm -hmm. hair what someone said no grateful dead on the air (laughs) uh I remember that very clearly and who opens her show with five minutes of dead dead air air, and closes it with some more dead air madam psychosis baby uh does he say the phrase madam psychosis uncle psychosis what in a pulp's party hard, I kept thinking, does he say Madam Psychosis? And no, the line is, I was having a whale of a time until your uncle, Uncle Psychosis, arrived. <laughs> Why did we all have to half kill ourselves just to prove we're alive? Damn. Love love pulp. Love that. Uh, uh, Ma- Madam Psychosis, I, I believe this was already clocked in the text, a nickname for DMZ, that incredibly potent time perception oh, altering yes. drug. Excellent. And then I'll just leave you with this if we're if we're about ready to wrap it up. I think so. Just think about why someone like Madame Psychosis would know a lot about both obscure uh, anti-confluential films and football. Why would someone know stuff like that? Just think about it. We'll chew on it. I feel like I should have the answer. And low. Uh, anti-confluential films. <laughs> uh, again, those the the tone of these. Uh, broadcast does sound very similar to the uh, the Kush vlog. I mean, I think there's something about, there. Like, uh, uh, you know, Marxist interpretation of current events and uh, discussion of action movies, uh, of filming techniques. I, th- I think there's something there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this is a long one. 108, one of our longest. One of our longest ever. We're going to go make some uh, protein jello squares. I'm, yeah, I'm about to eat some of last night's pulled pork. <laughs> But maybe I'll square it, square it first. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, bye-bye. Bye.